I was 30 years old and married with children and managing a large department for an international corporation. I was in a season of life where I felt very blessed, blessed with a wonderful growing family and a solid job. My wife and I were active in our church and together leading a small group of young married couples. We were in a season of life where I felt very blessed with a wonderful church community. From the outside, everything looked great. On the inside, though, behind the curtain, things were not so great because I was on a spiritual plateau. Katie, can I have the first slide, please? This graph on the screen is a, is a decent representation of my spiritual journey up to that point. I'd, I'd had my ups and my downs, but now I'd reached a point where everything was just routine. I was doing all the right things, reading my Bible, praying, going to church, engaging in Christian community, but everything just seemed flat. There was no vitality to my faith, no energy to my faith. Instead, I had this vague sense of discontent. I didn't have any strong sense of God's presence or God's leading. And I clearly wasn't turning away from the Lord, but I I didn't feel like I was moving any closer to him either. I was on an even keel, but it was stale, very stale. And one Sunday morning when I got up, I realized that the last thing on earth I wanted to do was go to church. So I didn't. Instead, I got up and I went to worship. I went to worship. You see, I realized that the biggest part of my problem was me. I was focused on my feelings and my wants and my desires. I was going to church each week to be with friends, to learn some new facts from the Bible, to sing songs that I liked, or perhaps to complain if the music leader picked songs I didn't like. All of that is a me focus. Worship, though, shifts the focus from me to God. Think about that song we sang just a few moments ago. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. That's why we're here. That's the focus. And that's the change I made that day when I decided to go to worship instead of go to church. And as I made that shift in my attitude and in my behavior, God met me in my worship and he moved me off the spiritual plateau. Worship not only can lift us off that plateau, it can prevent us from landing on that plateau in the first place. So this morning we want to look at two Bible passages that help us understand why worship is essential. It's essential to your spiritual health and to mine. We're going to begin in the book of Psalms with Psalm 96. And King David writes, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord. That's the why of worship. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. What a great psalm of worship. And King David begins by inviting us to sing to God. Now, music is not the only way to express ourselves in worship, but it is one very rich way to worship. And in fact, based on modern brain research, we know something that King David didn't know. Music actually stimulates our brains in distinctive ways, ways very different than from when we talk with each other or when we listen to a sermon. Music actually hits your mind and my mind in ways that affect our emotional and spiritual health. And so whether we sing along or whether we just listen as the music's being presented, the Holy Spirit can use music to draw us into the presence of God in a unique way. Now, as David wrote these words, he obviously didn't know the underlying biological reality. He just knew what music did for his soul. And so as an expression of worship, David sings. And he invites other believers to also sing to God. And we sing because worship is a celebration Yet it's not a celebration of how we feel or what we might learn. Worship is a celebration of who God is, as David makes clear. God is our creator. He's the Lord of glory, and he deserves our praise simply because the majesty that resides in him. So David says, sing to this great God. And don't just sing, sing a new song. Because a new song reminds us that our God is the one who continually makes all things new. He did something new when he breathed this world into existence, making something from nothing. He made something new and something very precious when he breathed the gift of life into you and into me. When we made the decision to put our trust in Jesus, we became, as the Apostle Paul said, new creatures in Christ. And every morning we wake up to a new day that God has made, a new day full of new possibilities. God makes things new. And we're going to miss out on much of this if we focus on ourselves instead of God. We're going to miss out on a lot of this if we try to hold on to the unchangeable past instead of celebrating the new things that God continually wants to bring into our lives. New ways to experience His presence, new expressions of worship, new answers to prayer, new ways to share our faith with people who don't yet know Jesus, new friendships where we can encourage each other in the life of faith.
as we celebrate God in worship. It keeps us focused on what is new and fresh. And it prevents us from becoming spiritually stale. Now, as we talk about this, it all can sound very lofty and wonderful and spiritual. Yet it's not always easy to do because we face so many impediments that distract us from the worship of God. One of our biggest distractions is the worship of idols, which David mentions here in verse 5. And he calls idols the gods of the nations. That's because in his day, gods always were identified with specific nations. So the Canaanites, for example, worshipped Baal. The Ammonites worshipped Molech. These were man-made gods linked to a particular nation and a particular culture. Only the Jews worshipped the one true God, the Lord of creation who transcends culture and who wants to draw the whole world into relationship with him. The gods of the nations stand against the Lord of creation. They're idols. Here's something we often miss, though. Just as ancient nations had idols, so do modern nations. From about 1910 to about 1945, for the nation of Germany, war was their national idol. And because of that idol, they created a militaristic culture and they initiated two global conflicts. A national idol that shaped a culture and led to some very specific results. For some nations in our world today, their national idol seems to be corruption as they breed cultures typified by lawlessness and bribery. For America, I think it's safe to say and accurate to say that our national idol is money. Because so much of our culture is shaped around profit-making and buying and selling. Now, there's nothing inherently bad about the marketplace. But we need to recognize that you and I live in an environment where it's easy to become consumed by money. And the stuff that we own or want to own can become our idols. And the problem with idols is that they're tempting. Idols can steal some of our heart and our soul. That's why we need to worship. Worship helps us see that idols are inferior compared to the majesty of our great God. As people of faith, striving to follow Jesus, yet immersed in a consumer culture, celebrating God in worship helps us keep money in its proper place as a tool not as an idol. In fact, we can push back against this national idol by following David's advice here in verse 8. We bring an offering to God in worship. You see, if we consistently come to worship empty-handed, we're making a profound statement. We're saying that we trust our money more than we trust our God. Giving is a significant act of worship. 
It's a way to honor the greatness of our God and a way to prevent our national idol from luring us in. Based on what King David writes here, I think he's making a profound point that instead of coming to church, we come to worship. We come to worship to celebrate God, and we shift the focus from ourselves to him. As we do that, though, something significant happens. We are humbled. Because when we honor the greatness of God, it's a very humbling thing to realize who we are in relationship to him. And in the next part of this psalm, King David makes it very clear that worship is a humbling experience. Let's continue on in verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Back in January, we proclaimed 2019 as a year of humility for our church. And if you've been paying attention, you've probably noticed how often the problem of pride and our need for humility has cropped up in my messages, even when I'm not specifically talking about those subjects, even when they're not the theme of the message. And what's amazing to me is I don't have to hunt for those topics. They just keep coming up because they pervade Scripture. And they pervade Scripture because pride is so deeply embedded in us. To be healthy people, to be a healthy spiritual community we must continually root out pride worship helps us do that because worship reminds us that God is great and we are not worship helps us not to take God for granted and to be filled with holy awe at his greatness And we can see his greatness in many different ways, but there's one especially powerful way we can see the greatness of God, and it's in the fact that the natural elements are subordinate to him, which David talks about here. And I'd like us to think for just a moment about how this played out in the life of Jesus. Think about what happened in those moments when Jesus would physically heal someone, or he would free someone from spiritual oppression. Whenever he did that, the disciples responded with amazement. But when Jesus took authority over a storm by calming down the wind, and he turned a wave-tossed lake into a calm mill pond, they were in awe. It was that act that caused them to say, Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. The control of nature emphasizes that God is creator 
that's why David poetically describes here nature in an ongoing act of worship to God. Think about it, that when the fields are jubilant and ripe with harvest and the wind sings in the trees, when the tides ebb and flow and when thunder roars and lightning flashes, then the elements of nature are in fact worshiping God, worshiping their creator by doing exactly what he designed them to do why he gave birth to them and created them out of nothing. They are giving glory to God, the God who set them in motion. And we should not take any of this for granted, but should marvel at the intricate detail of this world that God has put into place. I don't know about you, but that inspires me to have some humility as I worship. I'm humbled when I'm reminded of the splendor of our God. And all of this reminds me that he is great and I am not. And then, of course, we should be humbled by this one very vital fact. The God who made us is the God who judges us. And this should not be something to fear, but something to embrace because David says that God's judgments are righteous. God's judgments are fair and faithful. They are just. And we need God's justice because this world is filled with injustice. Even here in our nation where we proclaim equality under the law, we often see that people who are rich or powerful or politically connected are judged by a different set of rules. We sometimes see that people of one racial or ethnic group unfairly judge people from a different group. And this kind of thing happens because human beings are full of selfishness and pride and greed and hate. Only God can establish equality and justice and truth and righteousness. Only his justice and judgment can break down our need his justice. We need his judgment. And when we come to him and humbly worship, we acknowledge our need for his righteousness. His righteousness in our world. And yet it's not just our world that needs the righteousness and the justice of God. It's also the church. We need his righteousness to shake us up because life together in the community of faith so often is fractured by pride. We see it repeatedly throughout the New Testament and it hasn't changed much since then. It even happened among people who knew Jesus personally and walked with him. For example, we have the story about two disciples arguing about which one of them will have greater prominence when Jesus establishes his kingdom. <laughs> I want to be next to Jesus. No, you won't. I'm going to be next to Jesus. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Jesus has come to rescue the world. And here two guys are fighting over their personal status. It would be so tempting to want to mock them. Except I see the roots of that same attitude and behavior in myself. I think it's in all of us. 
when we read the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, letters to that first generation of churches, we see countless examples of destructive pride because the seeds of this are in all of us. In the church at Ephesus, some of the men were fighting with each other over doctrine and power. Some of the women were fighting over who looked nicer and who had nicer things. The church in Corinth, worship took place around a weekly meal, but the meal was disrupted by selfish gluttons who were more interested in stuffing their face than sharing with others. On and on it goes. And these kinds of problems occur when pride dominates. Because that's when we get selfish and we lose sight of who we really are and why we're really here. We are here to humbly celebrate the greatness of our God. And when we worship, worship helps break the power of idols. Worship helps break the power of pride in our lives. Worship humbles us so that we can keep our lives and our issues in proper perspective. And yet, even though worship is humbling, it's not humiliating. There's a big difference between those two things. We need to be humbled, but God is not interested in humiliating us. In fact, God actually wants to empower us. And sometimes worship is the vehicle by which God empowers us. And we find a very vivid example of that in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Let's take a look. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. A few of them are named here. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And look what happened. While they were worshiping the Lord... And fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, he spoke to them. And he said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So I want us to picture this scene. Here's this early church in the city of Antioch. Some of the leaders in that church have gathered to worship. And as part of that worship, they are praying, and they also are fasting. Fasting means that they momentarily have given up some of their eating. They've said no to their appetite for a season in order to sharpen their appetite for God. And if you're not aware, we also do this as a church as well. We set aside the first Friday of every month as a church-wide day of prayer and fasting. And that's coming up this Friday. So we invite you to fast and pray during the day. Then to come here at church at 7 o'clock that night where we gather as a community to pray together and to worship God through prayer. It is a rich time to celebrate God, to humble ourselves before God, and to experience his presence as we worship through prayer. And as we step into this invitation to pray, to worship, and perhaps even to fast. It might just be that we would experience what these early believers experienced. Because as they worship, the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks to them. We're not told how he speaks. 
Perhaps it was an audible voice and everybody heard it all at the same time. It might have been just some deep, deep thoughts that he implanted in their brains and then he started comparing notes. Hey, I thought, I thought God said we should send out Barnabas, from Barnabas and Saul. Yeah, me too. God can speak to us in all kinds of ways. However the Spirit did it, he spoke. And these believers heard him. And then in response, after they heard him, they did what he asked. And they commissioned Barnabas and Saul and sent them out as the very first official Christian missionaries. And here's why this passage is so important. I believe that they heard God, they heard the Spirit, because they were worshiping. They had been celebrating God, and they'd been humbling themselves before God. They'd put the focus on Him, and it cleared away the debris and cluttered of their lives. And as a result, they were in a place and in a frame of mind where they were better able to hear God in that moment when He chose to speak. Hearing directly from the Creator of the universe is humbling. It's awesome. It is also very empowering, but in a way very different from what is promoted in our culture today. We hear a lot about empowerment these days, but it's presented from a very selfish and prideful perspective. Empowerment is something we do. It's something we take. It's something we claim. And it is the exact opposite of humble worship. In the kingdom of God, we are not empowered by ourselves empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are empowered when we respond to God. God speaks, His people hear Him, and then they have the ability to do what God wants them to do. And it seems to me that nothing could be more empowering than to undertake a specific action and have total confidence that as you act, you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. That's empowering. And this empowerment can flow out of our humble worship. Because as we worship, we are in this moment when our minds and our hearts are so much more aligned with God. And that means we are far more likely to hear Him if He chooses to speak. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but over the years, on a handful of occasions... I've had God speak to me during worship. One time in particular is just really embedded in my mind. Many years ago, I had a significant relational problem with a coworker. I could not resolve that impasse. I tried everything I knew how to do, and we were not able to achieve reconciliation. Yet one Sunday morning, as I engaged in worship, the answer arrived. It was like words that were seared into my brain. And what's fascinating to me is that God gave me the solution at a time when I wasn't asking for his help. I had been. I'd been praying about it, but not in that moment. At that moment, I was worshiping, and my focus was on him, and that's when God showed up and gave me the answer I needed. You see, I think he spoke because he knew I'd be better able to hear him because I was worshiping. 
And as he spoke, he equipped me to resolve what I had thought was an unresolvable conflict. I was given wisdom to fix that problem in a way that God wanted it to be fixed. And when I did what he asked me to do, the problem was, in fact, fixed. To hear God speak like that is so empowering. And as I think about a handful of times when God has spoken to me in worship to give me direction in my life, it gives me even more reasons to humbly celebrate my great God by humbly worshiping Him for who He is. Worship is transformative. Worship is essential. Now I have have to confess something to you. I found it a lot easier to worship before I became a pastor. On Sunday mornings, I am so easily distracted by all the details of Sunday morning. And it is a real struggle for me to completely focus on God. I work hard at it, but it's not always easy. I'm not the only minister who struggles with that. So I'm grateful that we have a wonderful local ministerial fellowship called One Hope, and we meet monthly to worship and pray together. And it is such a great time for all of us because no one's on duty. No one has any responsibilities. We just come into the room and we sing and we worship and we pray, and boy, do we worship. I have to say it's really fun to be with a bunch of ministers who are eager to worship and free from distraction. And boy, do we worship. It is so enriching. I need that. It is a special time when I can celebrate God and engage in humble worship. And I also look forward each month to our first Friday prayer gatherings on Friday night. Because again, it's a time that's not heavily programmed. We're just here to pray. And we worship God by praying together. I need these times to keep me spiritually fresh so I don't get spiritually stale. I absolutely love to preach. But sermon preparation and sermon presentation is draining. Worship is revitalizing. I need to worship. And so do you. It's not optional. It's essential. I hope we've seen from what David has written and from what we've encountered here in the book of Acts that that worship is so much more than going to church. Worship is a celebration. Worship is humbling. And worship can be empowering. This is not a formula. It's simply an invitation. An invitation to come to the house of God, to join with the family of God, and to worship the God who made us the God who sustains us. And here is one of the most amazing things of all. One of the greatest reasons why God should get the glory. Our God took on human form and revealed himself to the world as Jesus. And Jesus taught us. And he died for us. And he rose from the dead for us. 
And he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. This living Jesus gives us new life. And that is a great reason to humbly worship. I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue in worship by sharing and communion together. So when I pray, I would want the servers to come forward. We take communion because it reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus for us. This morning, as we eat the bread and drink the juice, I want us to hold on to the promise that Jesus made when he instituted the very first communion service. He said, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine again until I drink it new. Drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. One day we will see Jesus. One day we will be with him forever in the fully revealed kingdom of God. That is a great hope. That is a great promise. A great reason to worship. So why would we want to just come to church when instead we can come to worship our great God and Savior?